Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American for the week of Halloween. <laughs> in the spirit of spirits, we'll take a walking tour of one of the great cemeteries in the U.S., Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York, where over 300,000 people don't live, including Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, Herman Melville, F.W. Woolworth, Fiorella LaGuardia, Bat Masterson, Joseph Pulitzer, and lots of others. But since we're science people, our focus is going to be on the geology especially that of the rock used in the over 1,300 opulent mausoleums to be found at Woodlawn. You'll hear the voice of Susan Olson. She's the executive director of the Friends of the Woodlawn Cemetery. And you'll hear geologist Sidney Horenstein. He's the environmental educator emeritus for the American Museum of Natural History here in New York City. Now, let's go to the cemetery. <laughs> this monument for Matthew Borden. Matthew was the calico king of Fall River, Massachusetts, made his millions in fabric. This monument was constructed in 1904. The architectural firm Carrera and Hastings, who give us the New York Public Library, they're the ones who designed this piece. And what have we got? Okay, so for the most prominent stone is the one you're standing on right here, and this is from Milford, Massachusetts. It's about 350 million years old. And you, you probably, all of you have seen it, because it's the main entrance of the Museum of Natural History on Central Park West. It's the same stone. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there, they tried to clean it and uh, several years ago, and they used hydrofluoric acid to clean it, so it's bleached white. But it's beautiful pink uh, granite. Uh, if you want to see what the original color of the stone was at the museum, look at the benches. They didn't clean the benches. So those are the original green colored sheep. You can actually contrast it. So this is slate. Um, and slate is a metamorphic rock. So here's the whole transition that you may be familiar with. Uh, mud that forms on the seafloor eventually gets hardened to shale. When shale is subjected to heat and pressure, it becomes slate. When you then add more heat and pressure, it becomes phyllite, a rock that you don't see too often, um, that you may not be familiar with. And then when you add more heat and pressure to the phyllite, you get schist. And everybody's more or less familiar with the Manhattan schist. And then if you add more heat and pressure, it melts <laughs> and becomes an igneous rock. One of the things that's astounding to me, though, is, of course, how so many of our wealthy New Yorkers decide to treat us, the little people, to their travels. And we do have a wealth of Egyptian things. Our Egyptian things traditionally date from around the time when they're excavating King Tut's tomb. Egyptomania hits New York. Everybody's crazy about it. And I remember in the 70s when King Tut toured and we all were wearing our little pharaoh earrings and that kind of thing. <laughs> Same thing, but this one, of course, dates 1916, a little bit earlier. Jules Bache, well-known as a stockbroker, goes to Egypt, and, of course, he's so inspired as he gets there that he decides to recreate his own tomb. Okay. So what is a tomb? It's the kiosk of Trajan. Here it is wow. in its setting. <laughs> That's its exact reproduction of it, except for one thing, which I'll explain to you in a moment. Uh, this is no longer in the original spot it was uh, built in, 
it because of the Aswan Dam and the rising waters of the Nile. Uh, so it was moved. But it was the entryway into the um, into a temple complex. And uh, so here it is. And uh, so you see, what do you see? Uh, just a few of the motifs. Uh, you see the ends of the columns, right? Lotus blossoming rebirth. Uh, you see up at the top, you see the vulture wings. That's the maternal aspects of life. The sun gives life. The snakes, the asps, uh, those a pair, death. See, and one of the reasons why Egyptian architecture was so important uh, in, in uh, cemeteries uh, is because of the fact that, uh, that it was so involved in, in death, and uh, as, you, as you well know. So there's a lot of interesting motifs that are reproduced. Uh, there are uh, papyrus leaves also under, mixed in with the, um, uh, with the lotus, and those uh, represent, uh, uh, represent uh, knowledge and rebirth. So there are all kinds of symbolism that's involved in it. Now, the Egyptian revival architecture, there were three periods of Egyptian revival architecture. The first one occurred when Napoleon invaded Egypt. And it was a tremendous flurry of interest in that. And then there was another one in the 1840s and 1850s. And, for example, if you go to Mount Auburn in uh, Massachusetts, the entryway there, that is uh, an Egyptian revival. But we have a lot of, we had a lot of Egyptian revival architecture in New York. The Croton Aqueduct Reservoir on 42nd Street, the tombs downtown on uh, uh, Center Street, no longer with us, Egyptian Revival, and of course, in terms of Egyptian Revival, we don't think about that, but guess what? On the dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> On the dollar bill. That's all part of it. See? The pyramid. Yeah. And you'll see that. See? So, so an interesting place. And uh, where does the stone come from? come from very Vermont. Very Vermont. One of the things that's been interesting in preparing for Sid's tour, and at the same time period, Woodlawn is working on our National Historic Landmark application. And what we've learned is that a lot of the stone types that are selected are based upon trends. What people were building downtown, what was the fashionable color at the time, as well as certain vendors or architects. They were hooked into this quarry. So, Farrington, Gould, and Hoagland is the monument firm. You'll see their work across the street at Gates, Woolworth, etc. They always get berry granite. Everything they build is always done out of the same stone. So, an exciting place. If you ever get up there, go on a tour. you have a good time. And the cemetery there is crazy because all the monument makers decide to do their own custom things. So the cemetery has got some oh, of the most <laughs> fabulous, distinct, and unique memorials you'll ever see. Sydney, the original in uh, in Egypt, yeah. was that uh, of limestone? Uh, uh, the original uh, was limestone, the Makatam limestone, which is 40 million years old. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, I, 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 I'm glad you said, you said something because I said there was that this is an exact reproduction except for one thing that's there but not here. And guess what? 
it was the most studied part of the original monument is graffiti. There is graffiti going back hundreds and hundreds of years uh, that people actually, people who came, it was a great place to visit. They left cards, initials, everything. And people have studied this year after year, trying to figure out who who left their, their, their mark. So it's all full of uh, uh, graffiti. But unfortunately, uh, uh, there's none here. <laughs> You've heard of the Juilliard School. We next stopped at Juilliard's mausoleum. So here, this is a pink granite from North Carolina. Um, you, you can see that it's a little coarser than what we've been seeing. The minerals really stand out, the black mineral. Uh, the two black minerals in granite, one is biotite mica, and the other one is hornblende. And uh, and the, de- the, the darker the, the granite, the uh, the more hornblende and biotite mica there is. Now, one of the interesting things uh, about about uh, the various Greek and Roman architecture is here. So, Ionic, Corinthian, and Doric are the three main ones. Okay, um, Tuscan is stripped down, stripped down uh, Doric. So. The Romans and the Greeks actually used things from nature to signify, uh, to, to make their designs. So, for example, the volutes, the eyes and the ionic. Those are, if you take a snail, many snails, and you cut it open, slice it in half, you'll see the, the curve of it. And, uh, and so, but ha- what happened was, an interesting thing, Vitruvius, who first documented all of the various Roman and Greek uh, motifs in architecture said anthropomorphized uh, many of the architectural elements. And so he said Corinthian columns are God, represent God. And uh, Ionic columns are feminine. And Door columns are masculine, and so and so many of the mausoleums have a ionic entrance because it's feminine, and so you're re-entering the womb. See, and then of course uh, the uh, the uh, volutes actually represents curls of hair, pubic hair. See, so they've extended this, and since all architects studied Vitruvius in the past and all to get all the design elements, they have carried that forward. And so it's an interesting aspect of all of uh, the architectural and, and the meaning of some of these things. Here's the resting place of playwright Clyde Fitch. It is 140 pieces of marble. But there was someone on a tour who loves Clyde Fitch plays. Has anyone ever seen a Clyde Fitch play? Anyway, there's one guy out there who loves him and donated $30,000 for us to restore this wonderful piece. On our list, it's called Knoxville Gray, but Sid will be able to give you a little bit more understanding about this Tennessee marble. Tennessee marble uh, is formed in uh, during the Ordovician period. Uh, it's the same age as the inward marble. So during the beginning, before the Appalachian Mountains existed, 
there was this interior seaway that extended from Vermont, Vermont Marble, all the way to New York and all the way down to Alabama. And in that sea was deposited lime. Remember that limestone, and which this is limestone, uh, is a uh, forms only in tropical and subtropical seas. And so whenever you see, if you see limestone or marble in Vermont, you know that that originally formed in a tr- subtropical or tropical sea in the past. And, uh, and of course, in North America was really south of the equator for a very long time, uh, or even equatorial. So, and then because it's a, it's a sea and different environments in that sea, there are different quality, different types of limestone that's formed. And so Knoxville was the marble capital of the world. Knoxville has many, many different types of, uh, of uh, limestone uh, that are called Tennessee marble. Uh, but it's, as, as we know now, it's really a limestone, not a, geologically, not a, a, a marble um, geologically. And uh, so there's deep cedar red, uh, um, Knoxville fleury, uh, all different different types of uh, limestone in this vast uh, quarry district around Knoxville. And uh, you can see, and if you want to see it elsewhere, the floor of Grand Central is is uh, uh, um, pink Tennessee. And the, and the alliance in front of the New York Public Library is another uh, ten, not marble, uh, limestone from um, Tennessee also. So it's a, it stands up very well. Um, these are all fragments of fossils in here, which are hard to see, because there's been a little alteration uh, uh, in, in the rock. And... Um, and so, but they're all little tiny fragments of it. In some places, it's better than others. And so you can see that other places, you can see the fossils more clearly. Um, of course, if you go to Grand Central and get down on your hands and knees and look at the, at the floor, they may not think you are too, uh, too cool there. But anyway, another thing we should uh, mention is the sarcophagus. See, usually the people are not buried in there. They're underneath. But it's sort of symbolic. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is the word, sarcophagus, sarco, you know what sarco means? Flesh. And phagus means eat. So the, the sarcophagus was a place where flesh was eaten. And, and, but why? I mean, why would that happen? Well, the original sarcophagi were made of a kind of sandstone that was very caustic. And the name stuck. So it has no relationship to the present time. And there was that peculiar sandstone that did that originally. And that's why, and it continues. So it's a misnomer today. One of the things that happens at Woodlawn is the price of the lots. If you're Cornelius Bliss on the corner there, you paid a little bit more because you were on the intersection of the roads. You're really in the star situation. His daughter gives us the Museum of Modern Art. His grandson gives us Texaco in the opera on the radio. So the Bliss family's good. Anyway, so circular lots were more expensive. Crossroads were more expensive. But what was surprising to me is if you bought a rock outcropping, that, that cost even more. 
you would think it would be cheaper because you can't bury where the rock is, but because you had the opportunity to do a fabulous design, you paid more. Reason constables wanted here, for them, it wasn't the monument that was the memorial, but the landscape. They get the Olmstead brothers to do their landscaping. Where along here, many of these families brought their own landscape designer. So it was an ideal spot. Now, why is there a rock outcropping? I don't know. <laughs> well, because the bedrock came to the surface. Here, uh, and which reminds us that the that woodlawn, it straddles sort of the top of the Bronx, and uh, and there is and the the bedrock is not too far below the surface, covered by glacial deposits um, and lots of boulders. Probably, if you dig down, you will find a lot of them. But it's on the top, uh, straddles the top, and so back there, there's a, a, a small ridge, and that is the continental divide of 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 the Bronx. And what that means is that it's a drainage divide. And for, on this side, all of the streams that used to exist here flowed down eventually into the Hudson River. On the other side, where did they go? Into the Bronx River. See, so, and that goes into the East River. So this is, so, so this is an interesting place from that point of view. Now the bedrock itself, is the Fordham Nice, which is the oldest rock in in New York City. It's 1.1 billion years old. Nice is a type of metamorphic rock, and um, and and a lot of the Bronx is made of it. That's why we talk about the Bronx being nice, like Woodlawn being nice, <laughs> and that Manhattan is full of schist. <laughs> Now this one I know is pink marble and not granite. And it's, it's <coughs> Knoxville pink mar uh, marble, which is actually a limestone. Uh, you very clearly can see the layers uh, in the uh, in the limestone. It was actually layers, but it has another feature, and these are called stylolites. See, it's this zigzag feature that you see in here. It looks like a seismogram record, you know. Mm -hmm. And what they are is that when this limestone was laid down in layers, um, there was a lot of pressure on it. And there was, as a result of that pressure, there was dissolving away of some of the, of the calcite, the mineral that limestone is made of. And then redeposited, um, later in the other parts of the rock. That's what gives the rock its stability. And its strength. And the stylites so are solution features. And they're black because in every rock is not pure. It's not pure calcite. There's other minerals in it. And they're clay minerals. And so as the calcite is dissolved away, it leaves a residue of clay. And it gets concentrated along the lines where the dissolving is taking place. And so that the... Uh, so that, that we know this is limestone, because if it's metamorphosed and becomes geologic marble, the stylites are destroyed during the recrystallization of the rock. You'll see just all of a sudden a ton of obelisks everywhere. You get to show off that you're rich, you get to have this big monument, but you still want to be in the ground. And that's why. Also, when Sid and I were practicing, we were like, are those identical? Are they different? Are they? 
There's always a little bit of difference. We did not let you be identical to your next door neighbor. You had to present the image to us beforehand. We'd look at your design and make sure that it was appropriate for the lot, appropriate for the neighborhood, and wasn't identical to who was around you because this whole overall look was extremely important to us. Also, somebody's asked, do we give tours? Yes, Woodlawn gives regular tours. One weekend it's jazz, one weekend it's theater, one weekend it'll be art and architecture, sometimes it's specifically sculpture. Um, last weekend it was the Pichirilli brothers, the six brothers from the Bronx who carved the Lincoln Memorial. They also <coughs> carved that little pink angel across the street. They did that for Daniel Chester French, the guy who did the Lincoln Memorial. We've got lots of custom sculpture out here, but of course those six brothers from the Bronx were the guys who carved everything. I can find their monuments like that because now I know what Tennessee pink is, and they always carve in Tennessee pink. It's their preferred stone type, and so it's real easy to pick out a Pichirilli. One of Sid's favorites is this one. Foster is Foster's Fasteners. He made snaps for gloves. All you got to do is come up with that one thing everybody needs, and you're a multimillionaire after that. What tickles me about the monument, it was done in 1895, is on this side you see this very flashy signature, and I always think of you know when you're a little kid and you start out in school and you're first learning yeah. cursive writing? Yeah. And if you go on the other side, you see his wife's Bertha signature. Bertha. <laughs> Foster had the flair in this. Yeah. But it's got so much stone going on. I want Sid to tell you about what well, he's discovered about Foster. Well, I, first of all, it's an interesting um, structure because it's a actually a sarcophagus with a canopy over it, a tent. But the tent happens to be in stone. You know, and the uh, and the granite is very uh, distinctive, as you can see, uh, pretty much not with any blemishes. We're going to talk about that uh, in another place. Some some granites have blemishes in it, but you can see up here uh, the white material, and look at it on the column over here. You can see it coming down, and that is called efflorescence. So we have a structure that is now um, has water infiltration. And what it's doing is the water is infiltrating into the, the joint system and dissolving out the mortar. And uh, then when it comes out on the surface, the water evaporates and then deposits the uh, mortar on the, the lime on the surface of the stone. It's not a good thing. Uh, because it's disappearing. I mean, that's why the West Side Highway collapsed for the same reason. Because the, uh, all the concrete was being dissolved away and they had tremendous stalactites forming. And so flowstone, which is, the, which that is called, is, uh, is very similar to stalactites. Stalactites come down from the ceiling. This comes down on the side of the wall. But it's the same process that forms not only, uh, in buildings and structures, but also in, uh, in, uh, caves. Can you fix it? Uh, huh? Can you fix it? Oh, yeah. You need to repoint the... So here's our crisis. There are no foster descendants. William and Bertha are up in the crypt up top. There were four side crypts built for other folks. Nobody ever used them. There's no kids. And so what are we going to do? And that's... There's no endowment. No, there's a minimal endowment for this, but not sufficient to care for it. Did you say rent them out? <laughs> the, uh, does the pH of the rain have an effect on... Well, yeah, all rain is acid. Anyway, wait, wait, just a minute. While, while we're here, 
Uh, Susan mentioned the obelisks. So here is a, a, a an obelisk that was just finished in the quarry. Put on. It's going to be put on a railroad and carried to uh, to uh, Woodlawn. See? Wow. See that? Okay. And of course, the obelisk becomes really popular when two things happen. Washington Monument gets finished. Cleopatra's needle, good enough for Central Park, good enough for Woodlawn, and that's when we see this flurry of obelisks all over the place. Wow. And the obelisk, you know what the obelisk represents? Yes. It represents a ray of sunlight. And then, of course, the Egyptian obelisks uh, always had a gold uh, cover at the pyramid at the top to catch the rays of sun and be transported down. But it's a ray of sunlight. Our next stop was at the tomb of naval architect William Webb. Made an extraordinary fortune building ships, the fastest ships, from clipper ships to early steamships, etc. Leaves his entire estate to create the Webb School of Naval Architecture. And if you ever have the ability to do this, it's in one of the old Pratt mansions on Long Island. I'll have Sid tell you about his time in the Bronx. But you go there, there's um, total scholarship, only 60 students. And I get to go there regularly. The kids are great. They came and washed the mausoleum. They come out every year. And then they'll be there at lunch going, oh, i got to go to sailing. (laughs) What's incredible is the school program, 100% employment rate. One of the hardest schools, it's equally hard to get into Stanford, MIT, and Webb for young engineers because of the employment rate. The kids have to go to sea on internships. They have to work in shipbuilding things. It's a really intense program and hard to make it through, but they're just fantastic. Anyway, it's also free. yes, but not easy to get into, and those kids are smart. It's like nerd heaven out there. <laughs> but I want, why we open this, again, with the marble types, which I'm having trouble getting a handle on because there's such a diversity, but Carrara marble from Italy, which Michelangelo carves David in, a lot of our interior works, although some of the art outside works have this very soft white marble. There's a terrific relief of Webb and his wife here, and so we wanted to open that up so you could get a look at the distinctive marble. It also has pretty terrific Tiffany windows. First of all, the, the Webb Institute for Naval Architecture was located where? In the Bronx. Where? On Fordham Road. And unfortunately, that beautiful, massive building was... Um, was uh, torn down, and the Fordham Heights apartment complex, the yellowish stone, is built on the site, that site. And uh, and so Carrara Marble comes from Mount Altissimo. That's where Michelangelo got his marble. And uh, this is over 5,000 feet high, slowly disappearing. Um, it's a real, when the trucks come down the roads, it's, um, you get out of the way. And it's a a phenomenal uh, place to see. But just keep in mind that this is this marble is called statuary marble, and uh, statuary marble is pure marble. Uh, There's no veins in it. There's no imperfections, and that's very rare. And they're finding less and less of it in Carrara. But also keep in mind that the cheapest marble, called Italian gray marble. It comes from Carrara also, huh. so it's uh, so it has a cachet to it, but don't um, it's um, but it's not um, 
uh, it, it, various kinds of marble uh, that are located there. And it is true marble. It's not limestone. A lot of the new monuments we have, some of you have asked about the jazz section. In the jazz section, you'll see some really big black monuments. The new technique of putting your picture on them is to computer scan and then sandblast so that, you know, you can be Illinois Jiquette with a nine-foot statue of you playing the saxophone. But to do this, you you need to use a dark color <coughs> granite. It won't work on a light granite. And most of this stuff comes from India today. But back in the old days, it didn't come from India. We wanted to stop here to show you some of the distinct darker granites that you'll see. This is William Buckingham Curtis, the founder of the New York Athletic Club. This is a, this is, the stone is dark Quincy granite. Uh, Quincy granite was a large uh, quarry area uh, just south of Boston. And had very varieties of different stones. And the, uh, the, mo the one that was the most desirable and the most expensive was dark Quincy. And, um, and it had a problem. Uh, you can see that, um, some of the feldspars are turning to clay. It's called a process called kaolinization. And like kaopectite, mm -hmm. kaolin, same, same thing. And so that's what happens to the feldspar minerals. But, but it really went into a tremendous decline when they discovered that they were doctoring the stone. They were taking oil and carbon and rubbing it into the stone to get it dark. And eventually what happens, it starts to wear away. And then when that was discovered, that they were doing that, and you know, it got lighter, it got splotchy. Uh, no one would allow Quincy granite uh, to be used, uh, dark Quincy granite to be used anymore, and uh, so it went into the quarries basically closed up as a result of that. This happened in the, in the 1930s when they were desperate to get more business. And uh, today you can go to Quincy and see many of the old quarries. Uh, many buildings in New York City are made of uh, Quincy granite. The first uh, commercial railroad in the United States was built to take Quincy granite from from the quarries uh, to Boston to build the Bunker Monu Hill Monument, 1821. So you have a whole, a whole bunch of, this is a new granite from New Hampshire. Uh, some of you may have re uh, seen uh, the film uh, The Fountainhead, uh, and uh, they worked in the Fletcher Quarry. That's the stone here. New England is just so richly endowed with, uh, with so many varieties of granite, different colors, different textures. And the thing to remember about granite, it is a rock that forms six, eight, ten miles below the surface of the earth, and that's where it cools. And that's where it crystallizes. And so when you see granite, where you can quarry it on the surface, this means that the, the, the crust of the earth has risen upward and all of the overlying rocks stripped away by erosion over millions of years to expose that granite. So it's really, anytime you see the granite anywhere in the world, it's a testimony to the dynamism of the earth. But one of the things I want you to notice is, uh, for example, in that column there, about uh, halfway up, a little less than that, you see a black mark. You see it? And then up there, and then over here, 
they're all around. And, and these are called xenoliths. Xeno, X-E-N-O. Xeno means foreign, like xenophobia. Mm-hmm. So xeno, foreign rock. And what this is, remember that this is molten rock. And so as it's forming in this chamber, it's reacting with the sides of the huge chamber. You, you're talking about huge uh, uh, mass of material. Pieces of the sides fall into the molten material. And they get dissolved usually, but sometimes they don't. And they remain. And and uh, and they don't get completely dissolved away. And so those are the xenoliths. So these are part of the chamber walls that have fallen in and still remain. And that's why they're called xenolith. They're far into the molten material itself. We continued on to the Harkness Memorial Garden. And notice that the uh, the stone that's used in the actual structure sort of matches the bedrock. The bedrock is the Fort of Nice. And you can see the layers all running uh, in the direction of my hand here, going this way. But the stone itself is unrelated to it. It is not nice metamorphic rock. It's actually uh, a dolomite. Now, dolomite is somewhat related to limestone. The basic composition of limestone is calcium carbonate, the mineral calcite. And, but however, uh, magnesium easily substitutes for calcium. So you, when you have a calcium magnesium carbonate, you have now the mineral dolomite, and, uh, which is what that is. But it also has, in addition, iron oxides. And the iron oxides is what gives it the various shades of brown uh, to tan. And so it's still quarried today. A lot of it is used for flooring. Uh, it's uh, very durable uh, because it's not soft like calcite. It's dolomite. And, uh, and so it ha- but it has a lot of holes in it because of the way it was deposited. Okay, let's thank Sid. Let's thank Susan. Let's thank Susan. For more info, Google Friends of Woodlawn Cemetery. And Sid Hornstein is working on a book about the geology of the cemetery. It should come out sometime next year. Now it's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, sales of Halloween masks of presidential candidates have successfully predicted the winner of the election since 1980. Story two, black cats aren't bad luck. In fact, they're good for your health. Story three, Albert Einstein, dead low these many years, is still in the top ten list of celebrity moneymakers. Well, his estate is. You know what I mean. Because his image is everywhere. And story four attempts to break the world record heaviest pumpkin set just last year failed, so the 2007 champ still stands. Time's up. Story one is true. The presidential candidate whose Halloween mask outsells his opponent has won the election every time since 1980. That's according to Halloween mask manufacturer BuyCostumes.com. By the way, Obama masks are outselling McCain masks 55 to 45 percent, which is eerily close to poll numbers. Story two is true. Black cats can improve your health. 
So can any pet. Pets have been associated with lower blood pressure, less anxiety, and boosted immunity. And story four is true. The 2007 world record heaviest pumpkin is still the champion, grown by Joseph Jutras of Rhode Island. It weighed in at 1,689 pounds. He also had this year's biggest pumpkin at the Southern New England Giant Pumpkin Growers Competition a couple of weeks ago, but it was a paltry 1,507 pounds. For more on giant pumpkins and the people who grow them, check out the Science Talk episode from October 31st, 2007. All of which means that story three about Einstein being among the top ten celebrity moneymakers is totally bogus. But what is true is that Einstein does rank fourth among dead celebrity earners. His estate pulls in about $18 million annually thanks to the licensing of his famous face and scary hair. That's according to Forbes magazine. Einstein will soon be selling sneakers with Kobe Bryant. The money goes to Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Well, that's it for this edition of Scientific American Science Talk. Visit Siam.com for all the latest science news, special in-depth reports, and slideshows. For Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 